This episode of Behind the Bliss podcast is made possible by our generous patrons. We seriously cannot do this without you all. If you love our show and would want to join our patrons, head over to BehindTheBlissPodcast.com and click Give, or head to Patreon.com slash BehindTheBliss. Welcome to the Behind the Bliss Podcast, where Rachel Autry brings weekly conversations to encourage, inspire, storytell, and share. Each episode is designed for you to feel met in your mess and balanced in your bliss. Here's today's conversation. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Bliss. Have you lost something that you were counting on? Maybe it was someone. Maybe it was a promotion that slipped through your fingers, or maybe you're grieving the loss of a friend or a family member. Maybe you're in the midst of an infertility journey and it just wasn't supposed to happen like this. Family and marriage therapist and author of the book, From Lost to Found, Nicole Zazowski walks us through our options and reacting to when these things happen. She does this so transparently by sharing what she's also walked through and what she's currently walking through and how she intends to react and praise God anyways when it happens again. Nicole and I talk about choosing that I'm a victor instead of the woe is me mentality, how it's about going through it, not just getting through it. All amazing questions and all questions that we tackle in today's conversation. So if this speaks to your heart or maybe someone that you know, this episode is for you. So here is my conversation with Nicole. Well, hey, Nicole, I am so stoked to join in conversation and talk all things I mean, there's so many things we could talk about today, so I'm just so excited to have you so we can get to it. Me too. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. We were just talking that you're in Connecticut, and it's freezing, and I'm kind of jealous because it's (laughs) warmer temperatures right now in Alabama, which is so odd, and I'm just craving a fire. Yeah. Do y'all do fires or like coziness around your house? Totally. I don't think I'd survive the winter without those. (laughs) Um, (laughs) How do you pronounce – I feel like the – is it the Dutch that do this really well where they've, where they have, the, they have some term for it. I can't think of it right now, but what they, they, like, they do. The, co- they have their own like cozy thing. Yes. There's like a whole, our listeners are going to be like, it's the screaming at yeah, us. Like it's yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> um, I forget, but basically um, they, they do it very well where they have all those cozy textured blankets and candles and they just embrace the cold. Cause I think when it's half of your year, um, I, I swear it's the longest season here. Uh, you just, you have to figure out a way to make it work for you. So fires are definitely part of that for us. I bet it would be ours too, if it's not, you know, so warm. Yeah. We finally, we moved into a home with a fireplace and it was the thing we're most excited about. And we have lived here a year and a half and have never started a fire. Oh (laughs) no. I know. We haven't had an excuse. So maybe we'll get some snow. Maybe your conversation will bring some. There you you go. Wintry feelings. (laughs) would love that. Yes. I think that there's so much that is to be said in this conversation just off of who you are and what you have gone through and what you walk other people through, through your profession. So I know that you are a mom of some boys Mm -hmm. and you are a wife and you live in Connecticut like we just talked about, but what do you do and what is almost like your your eight to five? How do you spend your time? 
Yeah. So um, my profession is I am a marriage and family therapist. Um, and I, I see individuals too. It's more of a, a way of thinking um, for, instead of, you know, the degree says more about my way of thinking than, than who I actually see. But um, yeah. so I am a counselor. Um, and when that's your job, very rarely does your eight to five look the same every day. So, um, (laughs) all stories and like unique backgrounds and people. Exactly. So the content of your day is very different, um, day to day, but I, I am technically full-time and that full-time as a therapist is typically considered 20 hours a week. Um, but I smash those into a day and two half days during the week. So, um, Every day of the week looks very different for me. I'm mostly home with my two boys. Um, and then I get to see my clients during those um, day and a half and then a half day on the weekends. Um, and within that, being a therapist mostly is my private practice in Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, but I also work at the Hideaway Experience, which is a marriage-intensive um, ministry. Uh, and they have three locations. I typically am at the one in Georgia about three or four times a year where I, I lead four day marriage intensives. Um, and that is super fun and, and takes me down South to your neck of the woods, um, (laughs) about four times a year. And then I am also a writer, um, and have my first book coming out two weeks from today, which I don't know when this will air, but uh, as we're talking, it's it's two weeks from today. That is so exciting. I actually got my hands on a copy to be able just to read through for our conversation. And this is a good one. This is like a gifting kind oh, of book. Like thank a, you. Wow. This is, you know, there's so much meat and so much wisdom, but it's also so playful and like your analogies are so fun that <laughs> it's not it's not offensive if you gift it. You know what I mean? Like yes. there's some books where if I receive it as a gift, I'm like, what are you trying to say to me? Right. Like This is intense. <laughs> I don't think we can delay this anymore because we've hinted at it too much. But your new book, From Lost to Found, Giving Up What You Think You Want for What Will Set You Free. Can we go there? I'm so excited. Do you feel like it's your child? <laughs> You're like, I'm a mom of two boys and one book. <laughs> I want to know where this was birthed from, from lost to found. I think, you know, that's really mysterious. So will you unpack what kind of what that is and your heart behind going through and writing this book? The ways in which I made myself feel valuable and safe were kind of working for me. They weren't really, um, but they were keeping me from that Christ dependence by Mm -hmm just relying on my own performance, perfectionism, hard work, control. Um, And it wasn't until I confronted my own painful season that all of those things stopped working. Hmm. Um, And that was excruciatingly painful, but it gave me empty hands. It was sort of like the rug getting pulled out from under me or, you know, in a holy way, (laughs) in a holy way. Yes. Um, entitlements and, um, the props to my faith were just kind of ripped from my hands again in a holy way. Um, and it was then that I discovered that actually only empty hands are open and 
while that was painful, I really see it as God's graciousness to me um, because I was then able to receive what actually brings us peace and joy, which is more of him and more of becoming like him. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was able to receive a hope that was more enduring and, you know, a peace and joy that actually lasts. Um, and so that lost part is yes, I experienced a lot of tangible loss in my story, including five miscarriages. Um, but I also lost in that process the props to my faith and the things that were keeping me numb to my need for Christ. And it was losing those things that I actually was able to be found by a love that I didn't know existed before. Yeah. Um, because I wasn't supplementing God's love with all these other comforts that were keeping me numb to really experiencing the fullness of that. So good. So one of our recent episodes was a question and answer episode where we allowed listeners to kind of call in and ask questions. And you would be, you probably actually wouldn't be surprised how much we're about grief. And mm -hmm. how do I know God is still a good God when things like this happen? I feel like believers and non-believers ask that. I think that's honestly probably why it's so hard to make that jump into what is faith is because of the whole, we have tangible examples of life going wrong, you know, yes. and and life getting so hard and it's we don't have so many actual tangible can feel them examples of Christ's love for us here on earth mm -hmm. and so what would you say to someone who might be in the middle of that maybe they're in the middle of what seems to be a super dark season and they're like I yeah I want to be able to agree with you but I can't get my heart to get there when I feel so dark and in this pain absolutely um First of all, I get that. I, I certainly have had um, many seasons that I outline in the book are full of more questions than answers, and I still do not have all the answers. I, and I think coming to God with that confusion yeah. um, has been one of the most healing things for me. And I still, I'll, I'll be honest, Rachel, I still have those questions and, and, um, and that confusion surrounding like, why did that have to happen? Or what, what was the point of that grief? It seems so unnecessary. Yeah. Um, and I don't believe that God is the author of our suffering. I don't think he's throwing lightning bolts of pain down. Um, but I also know he loves us too much not to waste it either. Um, and in the midst of it, I couldn't have seen this. Looking back, I can see the ways that he has used my story for his glory and my growth mm -hmm. um, and created, you know, I have a totally different view of God than I had before. And I have a totally different, there's a totally different relationship between the two of us that, you know, if you asked me, would you, would you have written this story for yourself? candidly no <laughs> like I would I would still say you're like I wouldn't write this story for my worst enemy you know it's one no. of those things you're like I don't think that this is something the human mind could even dream up of happening at all no yeah um but I also wouldn't trade the transformation that's come from it um and I think one of the places I had to get to to answer your question is 
I had to stop trying to have the perfect feelings for God mm-hmm. and just let God into the feelings that I already had. Um, and there's this one chapter where I just, I mean, to, to think those things is one thing, to say them is another, and to put them in print. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whole nother level. A whole nother level. Uh, but I did it. So for, for any reader where this question is resonating, um, there's a chapter in there for you where I just had to get really raw and stop performing for God, stop telling him what I thought he wanted to hear from me, stop trying to prove something to him and just say, this is where I'm at. It's awful. And I just want you here with me in it. Mm. And, um, it was only then that I got really honest that I started to make some movement, um, in terms of healing, but it's a tough, tough question. I know. I think we should just completely go there. I mean, what you were talking about as far as the whole, He's not just trying to throw lightning bolts down from heaven. He's not trying to disrupt our peace by any means. But I think there has to be a transformation that happens in order for us to then see him in a completely different way. So I kind of I think we should just tackle this grieving topic because it has seemed to yeah. come up so much. And I don't know about you, but I think that the winter time for some reason is so hard for me in my heart with things that I've grieved. (laughs) Maybe it's holidays. I don't know. We could put excuses to all day long, but it's a hard season. And maybe that's why it's coming up so often. So I think this is timely and I think it goes so well hand in hand with what you wrote so beautifully and from lost to found. So I would love to pick your brain if I can. Yes. All right. Okay. These are questions that I think I have, but then also I feel like we've been getting a ton from other people and But one of them specifically is, you know, maybe the worst thing hasn't happened, but you are maybe so crippled by fear that it might as well. You know, like whenever I was in high school, I think I was so afraid of losing a parent. Like I could not imagine what my life would have looked like without my mom or my dad. And so not that I had gotten used to it, but I kind of operated out of that fear. I already operated out of the lack before it even ever needed to happen. I was already reaping those consequences. And so I kind of want you to speak to the person that maybe life isn't hard at now, right now in the season, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they're making it hard on their self, on themselves because of the fear that cripples them. What's a way or like, what are some practical ways or things they could do to just like let it go and, and have that open hand that you talk about? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I can, I can resonate with that. Um, in the book and in and in life, I call it um, practicing disappointment, Mm -hmm. uh, which is basically uh, this extreme fear of hope. Um, Because sometimes when we make the choice to hope, it can be really scary because with hope comes the possibility of it not working out, of being disappointed. Yeah. It's really scary. And so what we do is we kind of fly low and stay low to the ground. Maybe if I don't have any hopes, then, you know, my feelings can't be hurt or like my earth won't be shattered kind of thing. Exactly. And basically we'll have less far to fall. Like it won't hurt that bad. Mm -hmm. Um, A, that doesn't work. If you do experience pain, it's going to, it's going to hurt. So, you know, but the hard thing about flying low or practicing disappointment is it's a, it's a way of controlling our pain. 
um, or attempting to anyway. But the tough thing about it is there's no filter on that. Mm -hmm. So if we protect ourselves from the pain, we protect ourselves from the joy too. Um, and that's what I experienced when I, when I tried that is even in the midst of my grief, it still hurt just as bad. And I was protecting myself from the intimacy that I could have experienced with God and other people in the midst of that grief. Yeah. I was, I was protecting myself from the closeness and the joy um, that God longed and was giving me in that season. Um, and so I, I think recognizing that there is no filter on that and you, when you live in fear, you're actually, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and you're experiencing the darkness that you are, are fearing. Mm -hmm. And to know that I'm going to invite God into, and God is already with me in the joys and in the pain of life. And there is blessing in any story that inflames our longing for Christ. And there is um, goodness in both the light and the dark in this yeah. life um, when we walk it with Jesus. Which I think is why it's so important in my own life. And I've seen this in myself so I think it's why it's so important for me, at least, to shift my perspective from I'm in the midst of hard moments, I easily can go to the, like, just get me out of here. Like, I can't wait till five o'clock when I, on Friday, when I, I can tap out, you know, or I just get me to the part where we have children and it might be easier to not think about these things yeah. now. And, you know, like, when really... I think when we wish the, the season away, we, we miss so much of it and there's no way out of it, but just through it. Like you have to, you have to walk it out. We have no option. And if we do do the whole like tap out, I'm going to wait until this happens. I think that we miss so much of what was in, in that season for us. Yeah. This topic really makes me, um, it makes me think of the, this familiar story to many of us. Um, but with, when the disciples are in the boat with Jesus during the storm, mm. um, and it's such an interesting story because, you know, the, the storm is raging on and Jesus is sleeping in, in the boat and the disciples, you know, are trying to wake him up and they're like, how could you sleep through this? Um, and he sort of, you know, he sort of says, you know, why are you so afraid? And, as the reader, if you picture yourself in that boat, you're kind of like, well, I'm in a boat with, <laughs> Duh. Storm. Yeah, with a sleeping savior, you know, this, this feels really scary. Um, and I think what Jesus is saying in that story is so often we put our hope in the end of the storm. Like if I could just experience a goal achieved or a dream realized, like this storm being over, this sickness being over, whatever that looks like in my life. Um, but we sell ourselves short when we think that that is where our hope is, that our hope is not in the gift, but in the giver. Hmm. Um, and it's weathering that storm with Jesus and, and knowing that um, with an eternal perspective, you know, ultimately receiving more of God and becoming more like him 
and spending eternity with him is the ultimate prize. Um, and that doesn't mean we don't have very real feelings in the midst of the storm. But if we can, if we can learn to trust the truth over how we might feel in the moment and to look at the, the true gift is, is the giver and not the gift that we long for itself. Um, and, and that doesn't mean we don't still long for that gift and that's okay. But to know that our, no gift can capture the glory of, of what God himself can give. I think too, what's so crazy about that specific story is there's so many things that they do to preoccupy themselves until the end. And like for me, I, I like, I have so many different things I do when just things get hard. I either completely tune out and I completely try to just numb myself with spending time with friends, which could be fine, but I just try to take my mind off of things. Or I just com- go completely different direction, the other radical, and I just do stuff. I'm like, maybe if I just like do my to-do list, I'll feel better. Or like maybe if I just, if life is really hard, but man, if maybe if I accomplish these things or do this earlier before it was ever due, maybe I'll feel better. And so do you feel like you've seen that as a therapist, that people have these things that they turn to in the midst of hard hardness and hardship that they think might alleviate the situation? Yeah, I think we all have those, myself included. Um, and I look at this through the restoration therapy lens, which is the kind of therapy that I practice. Um, and that model is essentially says that we have four different ways that we as human beings tend to kind of protect ourselves from pain or try to protect ourselves from pain um, or, you know, react to pain, as you're saying. Uh, the first is blaming, getting really angry, raging. Um, we can even kind of withdraw to punish like the silent treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, the second would be control. And this is a sneaky one uh, because our culture really celebrates this one. Um, but that would include, you know, micromanaging, controlling, performance, perfectionism, proving yourself, um, you know, outworking everyone else. Yeah. And then the third one would be shaming ourselves. So basically treating ourselves really poorly, saying, um, things to ourselves that we would never say to anybody else. <laughs> um, and kind of, we can get really pouty in this, um, in this one where we're, we want to hear the compliment, but then we can't receive it once we hear it. Um, and then the fourth one, which I think is what you were describing is just kind of numbing. Um, and that has a whole host of ways that it can look, but, we can shop, we can drink, we can drug, we can get really busy, anything that kind of distracts um, from the pain. And so we all have something that we do in reaction to our pain that is totally understandable, but not very helpful. Um, And I definitely reached for a lot of those um, when I first experienced this pain. Yeah, yeah. So the crazy thing that I keep thinking through is when when we tried to like numb with these things that God gave us as gifts, like for example, being able to accomplish things or maybe it's exercise, 
you know, like he gave us a body to celebrate, but we so easily can pervert it. And that makes me so mad. And it just, it's kind of what you're saying is how the enemy, um, I'm not going to say the quote as well as you did, but you said the enemy is not always going to, you know, is out to make your life awful and horrible. But a lot of times he just disguises comfort and that's what he does to me. <laughs> you just read my mail. <gasps> You're like, oh, yeah. He'll twist it for sure. Yeah. And yeah, I, it might be that a lot of those things you turn to are not bad in and of themselves, like what you're saying. It's, but are they rooted in pain or are they rooted in truth? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, can re- I can exercise from a place of peace or I can exercise from a place of pain where either I'm numbing or I'm shaming myself maybe. Um, it, it all depends on the emotional root of what's driving it. You've obviously been through a lot of different situations and circumstances that you've had to learn physically and very tangibly and practically what it looks like to turn your hands up in a palms up direction where things can be taken away, but things can also be given. So I I would love to hear maybe from your heart, some of the testimonies you've seen come to fruition in your own life when practicing these things and um, what you hope for readers to get out of it, out of this whole idea in your book that you've been writing. Yeah. um, One of the questions I get a lot is why I chose to end the book when I did. And I, I mentioned that, um, a lot of the loss in my story, not all of it, but a lot of it, uh, involved five miscarriages over the course of five years and a diagnosis that makes that more likely in the future. Um, and you know, so, and as you know, from the introduction, (laughs) um, I'm, I'm now a mom of two boys, Um, and so a lot of people wonder why I didn't end the book with the birth of my first son. Um, and there are a couple of reasons for that. I think our stories are lifelong, but you know, this one felt finished before my son was born. Um, but also I didn't want to, I didn't want to confuse the message that, um, that God was not the prize. Um, Mm -hmm. and that, that again, that the gift, that our hope is, is not in the giver, but the gift, uh, or sorry, not in the gift, but the giver um, of, of all gifts. And, you know, like I mentioned before, it's not the story I would have ever been brave enough to choose for myself, but I can say confidently now that there are precious treasures to be found in the wake of what's been lost. I have a totally different understanding of who God is. I, for a long time, had projected my own performance issues onto God where I thought if I could just be good enough or make him proud, I could keep myself safe from hard things happening or he would be proud of me and um, I would be just a little bit more valuable (laughs) to him. Um, And this story is painful as it was, I got to receive the gift of that false um, idea of God being totally deconstructed Um, and knowing that I am valuable and safe, not because of what I can do, but because of what God has already done. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that's, you know, that has um, 
as a result of that understanding, I just have a totally different relationship with him than I did before. I think um, I am more able and I'm not perfect at this. I'm still working on all of these things. But I think before I was so tightly, um, I had my, I had my fingers so tight around my own vision for my life that I missed his provision. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you went there (laughs) because it didn't look how I expected it to. Um, like the gift was different than I thought it would be that I would just blow past it. Um, and now I feel like I'm able to see, okay, yeah, my story didn't turn out maybe the way I would have written it for myself, but thank God. I mean, this is so much better. Yeah. Yeah. I call it the peanut butter jelly analogy where I'm like, there's so many times where I settle and maybe even who knows, he allows me to settle in some moments where I'm like, I got a peanut butter jelly sandwich. I'm fine. I'm good. I got a plan. I know what I want. Like I know how to get there even. And God's like, I have a feast for you. Like I have the whole spread. Are you sure you want that peanut butter and jelly? And in my mind, I'm thinking, of course, I've told you I'm like, I want this, but I don't know what I'm missing out on because I won't take my eyes off of my own plan or my, my own goals or my own, what I think is my own calling. And so that could even be a whole new level of grieving for people is when something happens and disrupts you know, your plan, maybe it's not a diagnosis and maybe it's not losing someone or maybe it's not, you know, being torn away from friends from something, but it could truly just be the loss of a dream, like the loss of, of what you think would be your future, your calling. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Well, in the chapter, I, I'm I'm glad you said that because the chapter I talk about this is not the most extreme (laughs) loss that I experienced. It's literally being stuck in a job that is different than what I, where I thought I would be. Um, and it's not a bad job. In fact, I talk about, you know, many colleagues really thriving in this, um, retail position I was in and they were using their gifts and, and experiencing success. And so it wasn't that the job itself, there was anything wrong with that. It was just, it wasn't what I expected and it's not what I planned. Um, and I just blew past all these gifts, um, that God longed to give me in that season because I couldn't recognize them. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, this story that, I mean, a lot of people probably know, but where, Moses was leading people through the wilderness and they gave them manna. And he kind of talked about this in a chapter called J. Crew and Manna, which I thought was so funny. But they, I mean, they had manna given to them every day and they became so okay and reliant and dependent and probably just compromised on and were okay with the manna, but they forgot about the promised land of milk and honey that was around the corner that God had even told them about through Moses. And so I, in my own life, I think it's so easy for me just to like look down, be okay with the manna, pick it up, eat it, maybe even like watch it spoil, like that kind of thing. And I forget that this is actually never supposed to be the thing I was going to live on. Like it's not, it's not tasty. It's not flavorful. Like it has, you know, it's not as nutritious or yummy as the milk and honey that was promised. So it's again, that whole exchange of my idea for his and surrendering and submitting to what he has for Rachel, not what Rachel thinks Rachel can get for Rachel kind of thing. 
Yeah, and I, I think that um, I love that that passage, that, that chapter that tells that story comes right after the Israelites have been rescued from slavery. Um, because I think the rescue, you know, they didn't storm the palace and start living like kings. Yeah. They moved out to the wilderness. And, you know, that's where we get back to that conversation around comfort where, you know, our pain can be surprisingly comfortable. And they, they were longing as soon as they got rescued. They just experienced God's glory through the parting of the Red Sea. They were safe. They were no longer under the impression, the oppression of the Egyptians. And they're like, uh, can we go back there? Um, mm -hmm. because at least we knew where our next meal was. And I think that, you know, God showing, he's so gracious to show us who he is, even in the midst of his provision, like you were saying with that manna every morning. <laughs> and, you know, it was, yeah, it's not, it's not what he had for them for forever. Um, but I think the word, the definition of manna is literally, what is it? Um, mm -hmm. Because they were like, well, what is this? <laughs> it, the, the freedom didn't look how they expected it to. And it, it wasn't going to look like that forever. Um, but God was showing them, okay, you can count on me. Just take one step at a time. And you know, don't gather too much or don't take it for granted and not gather when you're supposed to. Um, but he really revealed his character in that, in that desert time as well. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is we really have two options when we're faced with these kind of situations is we can either look at it as an opportunity for the miracle to happen or a breakthrough around the corner and almost have like an optimistic outlook, or we could result to the whole, I'm not sure why this is happening. What did I do wrong? God, where are you? Which is so great. And I think both can be healthy is what I love to hear from you is that one doesn't have, you know, one's not necessarily better than another. I think they're both raw and they're both, a, they're both a vulnerable place to be regardless of where you find yourself. But those are the two kind of ways that we can turn when tragedy comes our way. But I am so set free by your message in this book because I, I'm realizing that there's really no right way to handle it. I think the only right way is just the honest way and being real with God because he knows it and he kind of expects it from you. So, it's Yeah, I think honesty allows us to see the good that is happening now and, and it puts our hope where it should be. Mm -hmm. Um I think if our hope is, you know, all in that dream being realized or that goal achieved, you know, there is a possibility of disappointment. Um, but when we train our eyes on Christ in his presence in that mud pit with us, um, and when we're honest about that hurt, I think we're more able to see clearly both the good of what's happening now and where our hope should ultimately be. Amen. Amen. Well, I cannot wait for my friends to be able to get this book in their hands. I think it's going to be amazing. I know for real. I, yeah, just want people to be able to pre-order it and get it in their hands and be able to gift it to other people like we talked about earlier. 
one of the things too, I just really briefly wanted to say that I loved about this book is that it has discussion questions at the end of pretty much every chapter. And it's great because it kind of gives you a way to comprehend a little bit further. So it's like pushing down what you just read, maybe to a deep part of your soul that really needed to be touched by it. And so I'm all about discussion questions. Like if a book has discussion questions, it's like a whole new love language. I was really, um, I, I felt really proud of those discussion questions just because they, um, they've been really helpful in my own personal processing. And they've also just been such a good tool um, to facilitate meaningful conversation between me and my friends and family. And so um, I was grateful my, my publisher let me put those in there because there are questions that pertain to every chapter and you can find them at the end of each of the four parts of the book. Um, and, you know, they're designed for either personal reflection and journaling or uh, to facilitate good group discussion. So definitely get together with your friends too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I want to ask a fun question that we ask at the end of every episode. It is completely off topic, but it's probably one of my favorites. It's what are you loving these days? Is there something that you have to tell the people about or else they'll be missing out that Nicole is loving? (laughs) Well, the first thing that comes to mind since I have an eight week old is sleep. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm pretty sure we all know that that's a wonderful thing. Um, And I've been telling people, I tell people about this pen all the time. Um, and if you've ever heard me on another podcast, you may have uh, heard me talk about it there too, but it's called the seven year pen. What? I know. I, I think that's the official name of it. If you put that into Amazon, it should come up. Um, I've never held on to a pen for seven years long enough to test this Siri, but, um, (laughs) it's supposed to last seven years. Um, and I am just in a season with the book launch where I am writing so many notes and writing so many to-do lists that I have a pen that works. It's reliable. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it's my favorite writing pen. If you're a journaler or, you know, a list maker like I am, um, you might appreciate knowing about that. Um, it's, it's been a good, a good thing for me amazing okay the seven year the seven year pin it's like the pin of completion (laughs) yes exactly literally yes so if people wanted to get their hands on your book where could they do that yes anywhere books are sold but um there is a page on my website uh www.nicole n-i-c-o-l-e zazowski z-a-s-o-w-s-k-i.com uh, and you can find me on Instagram too, um, but you could certainly um, go to my book page on my website to to purchase the book. But Amazon, wherever you your local bookstore, wherever you like to go. You heard her. You need to run and pre-order this book. It is incredible, and I am so grateful for all the truth that you brought to us in this conversation today. Thanks so much for having me. I mean, honestly, who better to join this conversation with me about grief and pain and how sometimes reality is not what we expected it to be than Nicole herself. To know her is to love her, and I am so thrilled to be able to call her a new friend of mine. 
If you wanted to get your hands on Nicole's book and other things that we talked about in today's episode, you can do that by heading over to our show notes at BehindTheBlissPodcast.com. Here we make sure to put links to things that we talk about in today's episode, a short synopsis so that you can remember what we talked about, but you can also leave a comment on these show notes of what you thought about this episode. If you are loving this episode and you want other people to know, we would be so encouraged if you left us a review. Reviews don't take much time at all, but they mean the world to us. If you wanted to love us and support us in that way, just head over to iTunes. Reviews only take a few seconds to leave. Hey, I have a random request. If this episode turned something in your spirit, or maybe you know a friend who needs to hear it, I would absolutely love if you shared this episode with them. My favorite way people share Behind the Bliss podcast is through word of mouth. It's because it's intentional. It's because it made you think of someone when you heard something that was said. It's because you care about someone so much that you'd want them to hear the same message as you. And that makes my heart so happy. So if there is someone that came to mind or someone that you just think this podcast in general would bless, would you send it their way? Besides leaving a review, it's the second best way that we feel supported in this podcast world. I cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart for being who you are, for showing up and for listening. It means the world to me. I hope you have the best rest of your week. We'll see you next time.